Welcome to Cube Pushers, a podcast all about designer board and card games with a little bit of attitude. Here are your hosts, Bill Corey and Chris Dunbar. Welcome to Cube Pushers, the designer board and card game podcast with a little bit of attitude. This is episode number five, recorded on September 9th, 2012. I am Bill Corey. And I'm Chris Dunbar. Welcome to the show, folks. If you've never listened to us before, we are a podcast all about designer board and card games. And before we get too far into everything, I want to take a moment to talk about our release schedule. I know that we've been a little bit off kilter as far as getting things out on an exactly weekly basis, but we've changed our recording schedule. We're now recording on Sunday nights instead of Mondays, so I'm hoping that that'll fix things up a little bit. So you should, with any luck, be able to find our podcasts on iTunes and our website no later than Wednesday. Wednesday morning each week. That is our current goal, and I think with this readjustment of the schedule, we should be able to make that happen. So just kind of keep that in mind, and on Wednesday, take a look at stuff and see if you can find us. So without further ado, let's get into the stuff we've been playing. Um, Chris, you've gotten a chance to on Board Game Arena to play Seasons, huh? I have, yeah. You know, this is one that's been talked about for uh, since Gen Con. I guess probably right around Gen Con is when I first started hearing about it. And you currently can't get a copy of it. There's only a few people with copies, and those are the people that were at Gen Con and got them in like the first two seconds. Yep. Um, So right now you can play it actually on Board Game Arena, um, where I play some other games, uh, Dominion, Race for the Galaxies on there, and and, uh, a few others that I like but I haven't played on there yet, like... uh, so anyway, I checked it out on Seasons. I played a couple games on there. I haven't done very well, but it, um, <laughs> I, it, after reading about it, I got super excited about it. And after playing it, it kind of lives up to my excitement. It kind of feels how I thought it would feel, cool. which is which is good. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a super quick playing game. It, it takes two to four players. Um, some people are saying that four player may be a little bit too chaotic. I don't know. Um, I've only played two uh, so far, two player. Um, but it's a it's a quick playing card game. It takes place over uh, three years. Each year is composed of four seasons. Imagine that: um, spring, <laughs> summer, winter, and fall. And um, each season, you're rolling a set of dice. You're you're basically rolling um, uh, the amount of players plus one for dice. Um, and each season, there, uh, there's basically four resources in the game. And each season, three of the four resources are going to be available, and the fourth resource is going to be non-existent in that season. And the resources are generated by the dice. So each season, obviously, then has a different set of dice. So like the whatever, the winter dice won't have any of the symbol that you normally get in summer or whatever the case may be. Sure. Um, so you, uh, you, you roll the dice, and then each player picks a die. Uh, and then there's going to be one die left over. After you pick the die, you get whatever on the die. Typically, it's going to be resources, which, again, are the, the four resources, which are water, earth, air, and fire. The four, the four elements, yeah. Right, exactly. And um, you, you can only – so you get these resources in the form of little chits. Uh, by default, you can only store seven of these chits at any given time. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't just pile up a ton of chits. But then you're going to be using these resources to play cards out of your hand. Most cards are going to require resources to play out to the board. And obviously, the more powerful are they are, the more resources they're going to require. The cards are, are not only going to give you victory points at the end of the game, but they're going to let you do fun, cool stuff. Uh, while you're playing the game, there's a there's a good potential for comboing, you know, different cards and whatnot. Sure. And I, I should back up a second. When you start 
the game, and when you, there's three different levels of the game. There's like the beginner, medium, and advanced levels of the game. The beginner level, everybody is dealt a set of cards. You you play the game with nine cards, and everybody is dealt a set that that is supposed to you know work well together. Yeah, so um, they're assigned a set based on the card numbers, right? So they give you like here's right, the yep. package of nine cards you get to choose from. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So everyone everyone starts the game with nine cards, but in the advanced game, you actually everyone is dealt nine cards and then you draft them. Um, right. So you you pick one and you pass, and uh, so you can you can try to you know gauge what the other person has, what the other person's taking, stuff like that, um, and try to you know build a deck of cards that uh, that you can combo up. And so you're dealt nine cards, and you only play three of them in each of the years. So you only play three in age one, three in age two, and three in age three. And then, uh, uh, but yeah, you can you can play these cards out. You can uh, during your turn, you can not only play cards out, but you can activate abilities on other cards that you've already played out. Some cards have like a permanent effect that's ongoing. Some cards just have an effect when you play them. But then there's other cards that actually give you actions on your turn. So you can play any. It's not like Dominion where you're limited on like the number of cards you can put into play or whatever. You can play any number of cards you want. You can also what they what they call transmuting your resources. So you can basically convert resources into victory points, um, and you get more victory points based on their you know how rare they are in that in the particular season that you are in. So if you just if you need to dump goods or you've got a lot of super valuable goods uh, for that particular season, you can spend those and turn them into victory points. So it's it's really straightforward. And then you know whoever has the most victory points at the end of the game wins. Obviously, um, there's a lot of not really end game scoring, but there's there's a there's a, a you know your score is going to jump a lot from. Uh, when the game ends to when you finally tally up the points, because there's a lot of points on cards, sure. um, not not just the inherent value of the card, but also you know there's cards that'll say if you know if you have more cards in play than any other player, give yourself another twenty points. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, so it's, more like it's goals. interesting. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yep. Okay. So uh, it's it's a very interesting game. It kind of scratches the same itch like innovation does for me, where there's just okay. these wa- wacky combos that you can put together, and and uh, you know there's a little bit of messing with other players. You can take some of their stuff or whatever. It's uh, a it, it's it's fun. I can't wait to play it in real life. Very good. Now this one is on its way. Asmodee is the publisher, um, and like I said, like he said before, they were being sold at Gen Con, but. Uh, they ran out of copies, I guess. Um, and so they're what taking pre-orders right now. Is that how that works? Yeah, you can. You can. I have a pre-order right now. Actually, yeah, you can. You can uh, put a pre-order in, and um, like Cool Stuff Inc. has pre-orders available right now. It's supposed to be arriving in the next couple of weeks. That's the latest update I got um, from actually uh, Asmodee USA's Twitter feed okay. uh, from a few days ago, saying that they're still on schedule and distributors distributors are getting them next week. So that means stores should probably have them the following week, and hopefully. You know, with decent shipping, we'll have them within like three weeks from today, or not quite two and a half. Very cool. Now, who designed this game, Chris? And I'm throwing him under the bus here because he is our official <laughs> pronouncer of names, and he very cleverly attempted to avoid saying the designer's name. Who's the, who's the designer? I, I, I wasn't paying attention, but yes, uh, it is Regis Bonacy. I feel like you almost got close there. I probably I, not correct, but close. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't sound yeah French enough, obviously. There but. you go. Um, I actually got to see a production copy of this game. I had a friend come in from out of town who had gone to Gen Con and had a copy with him. And so I didn't get a chance to play, unfortunately, but I got a chance to sit and play with the bits for a while. 
And uh, the game is very pretty, first off. I will say this. The dice are these big, chunky dice with lots of icons all over them. The center board that tracks the Four Seasons and what's going on there is big and easy to read. The cards are very pretty. Lots of art going on through the entire thing. The graphic design work is very good. I have a, a slight concern uh, with the game, actually. The, it, this It reminds me a lot of Race for the Galaxy when it comes to the learning curve, because everything is iconography, especially on the dice. I have a feeling that for the first few plays, maybe even, you're going to be staring at those dice like a monkey with a football trying to figure out exactly what the dice mean on any given moment. Uh, does the I haven't played on Board Game Arena. Does it have translate those icons, or does it just show you icons? Yeah, no, it, well, it it just shows you icons. Well, I should take that back. If you're just looking at the graphic, it just shows you the icons. If you roll over it, it tells you what it gives you. Okay. But I mean, the icons are super. The only icons that are on the dice are are either the symbols for the four seasons, which are easy peasy. I mean, sure. they're they're everywhere in the game, so you're right. gonna know what they are after thirty seconds in. Then there's a uh, your your one face of your die might um, have a number, which is basically just victory points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, one that lets you draw cards. Yep. Um, Isn't there a border around the outside of it sometimes that yeah yeah it's not, you're right. Yeah and yeah. There's, there's there's some faces that have the border around that lets you. That's really you can't transmute by default on your turn. You can only transmute if you take a die that has that border around it, which allows you to transmute. Right. And then there's the dots at the bottom of each die that tell you whichever die isn't chosen. How it works is that you roll one more than the number of the players, and then each player gets to choose one of the dice that were rolled, and that's what they get to do for the turn. And there's going to be one die left over. That die is going to determine how far in the year you march around the track. And every time you lap the track, you've just completed one year. Um, I, and, and I don't des- necessarily think that any of those specific icons are going to be too difficult to interpret. I'm just afraid that all of the icons together are going to be a little bit overwhelming for new players. I think that sure. maybe, maybe when you start out playing it on Board Game Arena, if you can roll over and it'll just tell you what it does, that's kind of awesome. But I have a feeling that actually sitting in front of you, that's going to be a lot for people to try and take in. Like, if you go back to Race for the Galaxy and you try to think of the first time you learned that game, you know, those icons, even though they all make perfect sense, and you can go back now and be like, well, of course that's what that means. But at the time, you look at it and you're like, wow, that's a lot. I don't know what right. that stuff is. So I have. Yeah, but yeah, but Race has got what? Like 50 flipping icons, for crying out loud. This game has like, you know, 10 maybe, and that's if you're looking at like icons on cards, like. Okay. And stuff, but yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think um, you know, just because of the the you know non-language dependent uh, you know, way that they did the dice and and some components on the game that it uh, that it, it might you know throw people for a little loop. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I definitely don't think it'll take you know ten plays to figure out what the heck is no. going on like race does. Yeah, I suppose that's a fair point. <laughs> it also has one mechanic that I really kind of dig, which is there are special abilities that you can choose whether or not you want. And each time you choose to take one of those special abilities, you get to use it, and it gives you more flexibility in the game or something of that nature. But then you lose victory points at the end of the game for each of those that you've decided to take. I think yep. that's really cool. I think the idea of, you know, everything's rolling my way, so I don't really feel like I need to take this is one thing. But then if things are maybe not going so amazingly, you can decide to unlock one of these special abilities and give yourself a little bit of a jump start. You'll lose a few points at the end of the game, but it can get you back into the game, or at least that's what it seems 
seems like. So I really dig that. Yeah, at first, when I first saw those, I'm like, oh, those, why would I want to take negative points just to do these little things? But actually, after playing them, it's like, oh, yeah, they come in handy just, you know, if if you need this one special ability at just the right time, Mm -hmm. it's worth the five points or the seven points you might lose for doing it. Sure. You know, this actually just popped into my mind, Chris, but I wonder if the cards and the comboing and the drafting mechanic that they use for the beginning of the game, because I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but when you play the advanced game you draft right so you yep. have nine cards dealt and then you and then you literally draft them a la seven wonders to create your starting nine for the game i wonder if that's going to cause a little bit of the what i like to call the eye glaze that like agricola can form where you get dealt your cards and then you spend everybody sits very very quietly around the table for five minutes reading all of their cards trying to figure out what they all do and come up with the make the puzzle work in their head before the drafting starts. And we talk- yeah, I can I can see that for sure because you know like Seven Wonders, it's like oh yeah. there's t- there's two icons to look at. I know exactly what this card does, whereas this has has icons and text. And not only that, but really super tinier than it had to be text, which is kind oh, of really? annoying. Yeah, uh, I, you're right. Now that I think about it, yeah, they, it, it's it felt like they spent a lot of space on the cards worrying about the art and less space making sure that the text was readable, which I guess I understand, but right, right. I don't know. I, it looks it looks interesting. The theme is a little weak, but that's all right. It's still cool. Um, I'm looking forward to actually playing it too. I may actually bother to sign up for a board game arena um, account. I've never bothered before because I tend to not value online play of games nearly as much as I do face-to-face because I like the whole people part of the game. But, yeah, I might actually do that. That'd be worth a shot. Yeah, definitely. So there you have it. And that's BoardGameArena.com. Is that is that the website? That is correct, yep. Okay. All right, so if you want to check it out before it's available in stores, head there. Otherwise, Asmodee should be releasing in the next few weeks. All right, I actually had a... I, I would normally call this a pretty light gaming week, except for it wasn't really. And you'll understand why I say that in a second. Um, last week, I got a chance to play Sid Meier's Civilization. This is the 2010 release from Fantasy Flight Games, uh, designed by Kevin Wilson. This is the second implementation of the well-traveled computer game Civilization 1 through 5 that have been released over the years for the computers. Um, imagine that, computer games for the computers, Chris. Wow. Go me. <laughs> anyway, got a chance to play this one. Uh, those of you that have been paying attention, you know that my in in my bio in five through the ages is one of my big games. So and one of the types of games that I'm a big sucker for is civilization building stuff. I like the original Avalon Hill Civilization is lots of fun if you've got the right amount of time, you know. And I dig other games that sort of replicate that sort of theory with tech trees and that sort of thing. Um, so I was excited to have a couple buddies come down and we played Civ. Um, it's for those of you that have never played the game before, it's a pretty straightforward game. There's really not very much in the way of, of unique mechanics going on here. The basic idea is that you start out with a city and you gather either production or the ability to, uh, create culture or honest to God goods from the spaces around your city or cities. If you build a second one or possibly even a third one later in the game, And then you make your units, you walk around. The only thing I think that was really innovative about the game is the way that combat works. You have what are called just units, they're armies or whatever, just little flags that you're moving around to show when you're attacking somebody. And then once the battle actually happens, the cards that you happen to have in your hands, which might be 
um, infantry, archers, or, you know, artillery or cavalry or whatever. You just play them in order to determine who gets the most. And you can choose to play them opposite another person's card to, you know, battle that unit directly. Or you can choose to play them in a separate column just to, you know, to avoid the combat but get to add their value. And, you know, you go back and forth until everybody's played the cards that are in their hand and whoever's got the higher total wins. Um, I found the combat system that I just talked about different but not particularly entertaining like I, I mean, and that's possibly because this is the first time I've gotten to play the game, and I did not bother with combat basically the whole game. Um, I was playing the Chinese civilization, and this is one of the things I do like about the game is that each player is dealt a different uh, civilization, a different background, nationality, whatever you want to call it, that gives them some a couple special abilities that only they get, and those special abilities may or may not. Um, lend themselves well to one of the different ways that you can win. And there are four different paths of victory. You can win via culture, advancing all the way up the culture track. You can win via economy, maxing out your gold coin dial on your on your little tracking board thing. You can advance via technology by building a pyramid of technologies. So you have five level ones, four level twos, three level threes, so on and so forth. And then you can have a military victory where you basically just kick everybody else's butt or somebody else's butt, I believe. I had a great time playing the game. It took abnormally long for the game that we played, I think, but that's partially <laughs> because we were just having a very social day and I was learning the game. And so, you know, things went a lot slower than I suspect they would in future plays. I don't know if this is telling or not, but I kind of walked off with the game. <laughs> and when, when, it, when the new guy completely stomps the experienced players, that always kind of worries me a little bit because that makes me wonder if there's more luck or not. Uh, the two right. players, the two players that I was playing with, yeah, and this was a three player game. They both looked at me and said, yeah, you're actually pretty good at this. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, thanks for that. Appreciate that. You couldn't tell. Not that I won or anything. <laughs> but it, there's some interesting stuff going on. There's a couple things that are abstracted that I'm not a super big fan of, but I think it's a solid title for what it does. I don't feel like it replaces through the ages for me um, because there are things about it that I'm not particularly fond of. Like I said, the combat system, I think, is abstracted to a weird level. I, I know why they did it the way that they did it to make combat go fast and to let you plan for things a little bit better. But eh, I don't know. It was just odd. That that mechanic just felt so out of place compared to the rest of the game that I almost didn't like. I think that's part of why I didn't bother with it. Right. So, yeah. You- yeah. I played this once about uh, a year and a half, two years ago, and and um, it was probably more like a year and a half ago. But yeah, it's uh, I played it once. It was a three-player game. I remember being you know excited to learn this new game, whatever, and civilization games. But I do like to give a shot. But yeah, there was nothing about it that made me say I just have to play this again. And so, um, you know, I probably would play it again, but. Yeah, I just I it was I'm, I apologize. I don't have a whole lot of feedback here, but no, it a, was just it was just so bland that I <laughs> I, I don't care to remember anything about it. I can kind <laughs> of va- I can kind of vaguely remember what some of the components look like, but yeah, it's whatever. Not see, my, not my thing. See now, and that's funny that you say that because I even though I didn't particularly walk away from it with any really great. Like anything that completely jumped out at me, I definitely want to play it again. I think that the variability of the different starting um, nations and therefore starting abilities is going to give you lots of different potential paths to victory that are worth pursuing. Um, one of the other players 
had an ability where if he marched a military unit on your city and voluntarily sacrificed it rather than actually starting a combat, he could steal it or like steal a technology from you. I thought that was really cool. He could just sort of go get technology rather than bothering to research it himself. And I thought that was super interesting. Uh, right. The third guy had an ability that let him explore faster and get extra points for doing that. So I just thought that there was lots of neat variability to it. It's a very pretty game, um, maybe a little bit simplistic in a couple spots, but I thought the bits were pretty cool. I definitely want to play it again. It, I don't know that I have a super firm opinion on how good I think the game is, but I think it was enjoyable enough for what it was. I do hope... I will say this. I hope that the next game that I play goes faster because right. that was a very, very long game. I think we started at about 3.30 in the afternoon. We took a break for dinner. That should tell you something right there. And we came back, and we did not finish the game until about 11.30 that night. So, I mean, we literally played the game, not counting the hour or so that we took out for dinner, for about seven hours. That's a long damn time for this game. How long was your three-player game that you played, Chris? I think... Uh two maybe three again i remember i might have slept a little bit in there so time gets hazy when you fall asleep so yeah 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 no i i i definitely feel like the game that we played took a little bit longer than it maybe needed to yeah but it was it was still an enjoyable experience i tell you what it did not take seven hours i know that yeah when i played so i you know like i said i thought it was an enjoyable experience but I I don't think that I would continue to play it if it, I knew that it was going to continue to take that long. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, no. Through the Ages can take four or five hours to play a game, but I still have a very satisfied feeling at the end of that game. This game, although I won, I didn't feel like I did anything particularly groundbreaking. That's why I feel like I need to play it again, I guess. And I feel like my opinion is changing as I talk here. Right. I feel like I need to play the game again to see whether there's more depth there. I um, have been actually thinking about placing another Cool Stuff order fairly soon here, and I was originally so jazzed about this that this was going to be on my automatic click-to-buy, and now the more I talk and think about it, the less I think that I need to own it yet. I think that I need to get it to the table at least once more before I, I break out the money. But I think that if somebody asks you to play it, you should go for it. I think it's a good it's a good one that you definitely want to try before you buy. I give it a tentative thumbs up for now, but I want right to on. I want to play it again. Okay, cool. So, what's braggart, Chris? <laughs> braggart. Well, it's uh okay. So the premise of braggart is that you're this big uh you know you know Dungeons think Dungeons and Dragons you know fantasy monster slaying party that has just got done you know delving the dungeon and slaying the monsters and getting the gold and now they're all back at the local tavern telling stories of their adventures so it's basically a storytelling game and during the game it's it's a card game okay you're dealt a hand of cards um, somebody is determined to be the start player and with that start player he can either draw more cards or he can tell a story he can he can uh, boast I guess is what they call it in the game okay and in order to boast you have to be able to play um, certain cards out of your hand. The the, the four cards in the, the that are most prominent in the game are deeds and foes, so something you did and who you did it to, and then there's also scenes and results, so where it took place and how it ended. And so on your turn, if you want to boast, you have to play at a bare minimum a deed and a foe. So your deed might be, um, you know, while I, I don't even know. While trekking through the mountains, I slayed a goat. 
Um, and it would be worth, you know, a certain number of points. Every single card in the game, uh, the storytelling cards anyway, have a point value associated with them. So the lamer they are, like slaying a goat might only be two points, but, you know, slaying a three-headed dragon might be worth nine points. Okay. Um, in addition to those cards, when you boast, you can also add a scene so you can tell where it took place, and then you can add this result to it, all of which also have scoring uh, on them as well. While you're doing that, other people can interrupt you and call you out as being a liar if they have a liar card in their hand, which basically will allow them to swap one or two of the cards that you just played out for one or two of the same category of cards from their hand. It wasn't the three-headed dragon. It was a misshapen cat. Right, exactly. Like okay. You're a liar. Yes, it was a it. it was a misshapen cat. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's a, it's a storytelling game. I feel like it's a game that should be you know light and fun and like oh I'm telling the story and whatever. But they try they tack these points onto it, so like they're trying to make it more than it really is. And the person who wins certainly has nothing to do with any kind of skill, strategic skill or tactical skill, and definitely has nothing to do with any storytelling skill. I mean, as long as you play out the appropriate cards, you can play out any of those appropriate cards. It doesn't have to even make sense. It doesn't have to be funny. It doesn't have to be anything. It just has to be worth more points than the other people's stories at the table. Oh, that's Um, sad. so basically, yeah, like I said, it starts with the start player, and you go around, and when it gets back to back to the start player, that round ends, and whoever told the highest valued story, so the the story that's worth the more the most points, gets to take all of those cards and tuck them away as their scorecards. Everybody else that at least told a story on that turn, or at least boasted, I should say, using their nomenclature, is they get to take the highest card from their story and tuck it away, but they have to throw away all of their others. Okay. So obviously, you know, being the highest scoring story is going to score you, you know, up to four cards. It could be worth up to eight or nine points each, and somebody else might just score a six. So, okay. you know, obviously you, you play you play through the deck, which hopefully everyone will be able to, you know, be start player once or twice while you're doing that. So everyone should hopefully be able to be in the right position of the turn order to play a big fat story and have it score a lot of points. But yeah, like I said, you know, it's, it's supposed to be storytelling, but it's supposed to be like, you're supposed to have this winner at the end that has nothing to do with how good of a storyteller he is. Uh, It's, it's a throwaway game. It was fine, but there's, I don't know. There's nothing in it for me to ever want to play it again. Okay. I wonder if this, because I just, I looked it up on BoardGameGeek while you were describing it, and they're ranking it as a party game. They're showing it in the party game um, category there. And so I'm wondering if maybe this game is one of those games where you're supposed to enjoy the experience of playing it more than worrying about the point values and whatever. Like, you know, like if this is, maybe this is not, they, they put point values on it, because otherwise people are going to say, well, how do we know who won? But really, this is a party game just intended to get everybody laughing around a table together. Do you think yeah, that's likely? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I definitely think that that's what they were shooting for, for sure. But, yeah, having this other incentive of getting points. I mean, you know, there's point scoring in apples to apples, too. But obviously, the funniest thing in apples to apples is, you know, making these funny pairs together, you know. Right. Or, um, where this game, it's... 
I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe because we were playing with all gamers at game night, you know, people were looking at the, okay, what's the highest point value car I can play out as opposed to what two cards go together that would be hilarious. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, and we, we definitely, nobody was taking it uh, that I think was taking it from that aspect. And okay. if we were, maybe it would have been funnier, but so. Yeah. Maybe this is one of those games that there would be a rule that you could, I don't know, house rule in, or maybe they'll, they'll realize it as well, where there's something like the person that actually tells the best story gets a bonus, you know, and have like bonus cards off to the side for a storyteller bonuses. Hey, I told a really amazing story. Even though my cards weren't worth as much, I got to pocket this extra story and have people vote on it or something. Would that, do you think that would help? Yeah, and that's, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that as the game was being explained, I thought that that's kind of what the mechanism would be. Like, and you then have it to, wasn't there. Right, you have to vote for somebody's story as being the best, but it can't be your own or whatever the case sure. may be. And, um, but then when we got around to explaining scoring, it was nothing like that. It's just like, oh, you can play any card you want, and those are the points you get. It was oh, kind of silly. That's lame. That feels like this is 80% of a game then. Like, if you add that scoring, that voting and storytelling mechanic in there, maybe this game suddenly is kind of fun. Because right. then at least you get the whole, well, my cards completely suck, but the misshapen cat gave me a hell of a fight, you know, and then you right. can make a five-minute story about the misshapen cat ripping your toe off. You know, and you conquering against all odds and blah, blah, blah. That could, that could actually be fun. Right. When we did actually have a couple giggles while we were playing the game is when somebody called someone else a liar, you know, and said, oh, it wasn't a three-headed dragon. It was a gelatinous ooze or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, you, you change it like that, and it, it's kind of funny. Or Because um, okay. you, you can change any component of the story, so you could change the scene to make it far less dramatic or whatever. So. You weren't at the top of the mountain. You were in the bar. Right. Okay. Correct. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that could be fun. Yeah, so I, you know, I would definitely, if, if people want to play it, I'm not going to turn it down. It, I mean, it plays quick; it's not a big deal. It it supports a lot of people. Okay. So, but I can just think of, you know, a lot of other quick playing, you know, supports a lot of people games. I'd rather get to the table, but yeah, it's it's fine. It is what it is. It's I would play it again if other people want to play. Might be Th- a fun thumb game to play. Me. Thumbs man. Right. Yeah. It might be a fun game to play with role players. Like this might be a fun game to actually take to a D and D group and be like, "Hey, by the way, right, right." You, know, you could and, you could you could wrap up your your D and D session every night with this. You're back at the bar telling your stories. Well, and you know there have been other games that have already tried to do that before. Slugfest Games has the Red Dragon Inn, which is which has the exact same premise. It's the adventurers are home from their adventure. But instead of it being about telling the best story, you're either getting into bar fights with people or gambling or whatever, trying to get the most gold while staying as sober as possible because people can buy you drinks and get you drunk. And if your wounds ever, you know, match up with your drunkenness on the scale, you pass out and the last last person standing wins. So, I mean, you know, the theme has been done before, but I think that if this game separated itself out, um, we almost forgot this. This is a 2010 release from Spiral Galaxy Games. Kyle Daniel is the designer. You know, maybe if you enhance the importance of the storytelling, maybe it becomes a better party game. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right. You played Innovation from Asmati Games 2010, and you here's, what's what's his name, Chris? Carl Chudike. Chudike, yes, that's right. I, I, I think that Chudike sounds better than Chudik, so <laughs> we'll go with that. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, so innovation, we br- we briefly touched on it in my in episode zero in my because it's one of my bio and five games. Um 
yeah, so I finally got this to the table. I have only, I've probably played this game 50 times easily, and I've only ever played it two-player until Tuesday night at Game Night when I played it three-player. Okay. Um, we, played a, we played a couple of three-player games, and... Um, yeah, it was. It's all right. It's different. Uh, so innovation is 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 a civilization building game, or so they say. But it is definitely a themeless, themeless card game. Um, the whole game is this deck of 105 cards. The deck is broken up into 10 different ages. Um, so age uh, there's there's actual names on these ages like Stone Age and Bronze Age and Information Age. But really? basically, you just refer to them as age, you know, one through ten. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's basically ten cards in every single age, except for age one, which has a few extra cards in it. And you, everyone starts the game with a couple of age one cards. So you basically start in the Stone Age, and you, as you progress through the game, you're going to be drawing and playing um, a higher tech value cards. You're going to be playing level five and seven and eights. And obviously, once you get to those cards, you know, whereas in age one, you might have a card that gives you the ability of draw two cards instead of draw one. Well, by, you know, age eight, you'll have one that, you know, draw three cards from, you know, age nine and play them all out and steal a card from this guy. And so they just get a lot crazier, a lot more powerful as you advance through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's uh, five different colors in the game, which I guess, are, you know, are kind of how you break up this, uh, how you categorize like the different technologies. So the five different colors are basically different technological categories. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme and, just drips. Oh yeah, it's totally dripping. Um, <laughs> and on your on your turn, you are either um, drawing cards, melding cards, which is just a fancy word for playing it out in front of you. Right. Um, you are uh, activating one of the cards you already have played out in front of you. Or you are claiming an achievement, which is basically just saying, look, I have enough points in my score pile to get this level of achievement, and let me take it. Typically, in a two-player game, at least, um, you're always going to be winning based on achievements. So after a, in a two-player game, it's six achievements. So after one player gets six achievements, um, the game is called in that player's favor. Um, it, it, the amount of achievements you need in different player games changes, obviously. Um, you can actually win the game by ending the game which there are a couple level 9 and 10 cards, I think, that that will just end the game outright. And then it's just based on score. Throughout the game, you're going to be adding stuff to a score pile. And then so if the game ends that way as opposed to achievements, then obviously it's whoever has the highest score wins. So this game is very bland. It's not incredibly pretty. You know, the theme is bland. The the, the artwork... Wait, hold on. It's (laughs) not incredibly pretty? Really? it's yeah, it's it's not real nice. It's it's, the uh, it's a lot of brown. Damn right? game ever. It's a lot of brown and like uh, yellowish brown, like yeah, like yeah. baby diaper brown. Yeah, and then there's yellow to go with the brown in case you need right. variety. Right, right, exactly. It's like the entire game is afflicted with a bad case of jaundice. All right, I'm right, sorry. But, but each each card, there's 105 cards in the game. All of the cards are unique, and each card has its own card art, which is represented in a yeah. tiny little white hex by a black silhouette. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so um, no, it's, it's not a beautiful game. It's not a very thematic game whatsoever. No. But just the, the gameplay for me is I just... 
I love it. It's you can you can do anything in this game. It's just crazy. The the combos you can put together are nuts. The way you can come from behind in this game is is incredible. You know, if if you've got these right cards and and you you find this, you know, chink in the enemy's armor, you can you can, you know, come from behind. It's just it, I feel like you're not there's a there's a high level of luck in this game based yes. on card draws. But I feel like if I know what I'm doing with my cards, you know, if 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 I've analyzed them correctly and, and execute the right plan, I feel like I have a lot of control over my fate in this game, which um which I really dig. And you know, I, I've for a long time I've been trying to figure out what I don't like about messing with other players in games because there's games where people like, like Eclipse, for example. Eclipse mm-hmm. is a gorgeous game, yep. beautiful components, yep. elegant elegant mechanics. Super smooth to play, mm-hmm. but yet I hate it. I hate it <laughs> because I, I I spend you know three turns building my armada of ships and spending all these resources, and I send them out and I get a couple of crappy die rolls, and now my last three turns have been wasted, and I spend the next three turns trying to recover from it. Whereas a game like Innovation, you can get smashed in the face because somebody's stealing the super powerful card from you, or they're making you cover it up, or whatever the case may be. But you can you can just come from behind you can react to it like in real time where you know in eclipse if stuff doesn't go my way and i just get housed i feel like yeah i can come back the next time i play this game in three months whereas in innovation i feel like i can come back the very next turn um oh, and, okay. and, and that's the feeling i get from like twilight struggle too you're always messing with people in twilight struggle and you're always getting messed with in twilight struggle but you always feel like on the very next card play you can turn it around in your favor really so so i think i finally discovered you know i hate when i get messed with in a game unless i can do something to recover from it okay. um, like like in games like innovation and twilight struggle and in innovation i feel like yeah there's a lot of messing with players but you can really uh you can turn the tables back in your favor which is awesome you know what's interesting chris is that the first time i ever played innovation i played a four-player game and it was awful it was it was awful it was chaotic i felt like i had no control over anything i drew a couple crappy cards and then promptly got my face smashed in for the next hour and a half because the game took forever because nobody knew what the hell they were doing everybody had just gotten the game we were all sort of learning it together um so I freely admit that I came, you know, I, I have had a bad first experience, but as I always say, I try to play every game twice, and you made me sit down and play Innovation with you um, a few months ago, and I yep. I believe I grudgingly admitted that I didn't hate it that much by the time I was done. Yeah, you, yeah, you, I think you sounded a little bit more favorable towards it than that, but yeah, I think your opinion has waned again because you haven't been reinvigorated with another play, so we need to change that. Well, here's, here's the thing about innovation to me. We've covered this ad nauseum, and I don't want to bore our listeners with this, but theme means something to me, and it doesn't mean anything to you. Right. This is El Grande like themeless. Blah. I mean, the mechanics are fine, okay? I get it. I actually sort of enjoy certain aspects of it. You didn't mention, one of the things you didn't mention is the idea of splaying. You make right. these stacks of cards and then you have to splay them either left, right, or down, or whatever. Up, yeah. Or whatever it is. And then you show, that uh, reveals different numbers of icons from previously played cards, so that way you sort of ramp up. I kind of, I really enjoy that. I think that's a very, very clever mechanic, but, 
between the luck of the draw that is pervasive through this game, where if you just draw dumb cards, it feels to me like there's nowhere to go. You know, if the other guy gets whatever the thing is that, you know, is this amazing card, because I, I feel like the cards aren't balanced. Maybe that's my problem. I feel like some cards are just inherently better than others. And so if you get those cards, it seems like you get a much more powerful board position than somebody that doesn't. This is, you know, I don't know. This is only coming from like three or four plays, but I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'll definitely agree. There, there are cards even within the same age that are that are substantially better than other cards, but mm-hmm. they're all you know conditional. I mean, there's a card that could suck in one game and be amazing in the next. That's true. And you know, in, in just knowing the right time to play them and the time to use them, and and you know, maybe uh, if if you aren't getting good draws, you know, maybe you can do something to your opponent to limit his his need to draw or his wanting to draw, so he doesn't get all the awesome cards. I mean, there's there's buildings in there, there's technologies in there that like let you steal all of your opponent's hand and give them all of your hand. So like if you have zero cards in your hand and he has ten and you activate that building, you get his ten cards and he now has nothing. Right. Okay. If you have that building in play, he's not going to want to be drawing cards very often. Right. Uh, because there's that fear of you stealing them. So yeah, I mean you can there there are different there are definitely things you can do to kind of you know mitigate uh the lock, but yeah, no, it's it's still. I mean, it's it's a card game. You're you're drawn blind, so right, right. But it's uh, it's I, I yeah, I like it. I enjoy it a lot. Why is Mr. Chudike or however we're saying his name this week? Why is he incapable of making pretty games? Doesn't he? Doesn't anybody love him and want <laughs> to like help him make his games not ugly as sin? Well, I, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, it feels like I, I don't know. The game whole... This guy makes is just a huge ugly mess. Well, I don't know a, a ton about the history of like Cambridge Games Factory, which is who did Glory to Rome, which is his other big hit. Yep. And his it came out before innovation, and it was ugly, but for a totally different reason. Right. It was ugly because it was you know the artwork was done by someone who got well, yeah, it was like the the guy who got fired from you know drawing the Smurf you know B sides <laughs> or something. It was horrible. I liked that art actually. I still think the game was ugly, but for a different reason than that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, no. Anyway, so Cambridge Games Factory, um, they 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 were started, you know, with like these MIT students started it, and I think they just like you know hired like their friend that like could draw better than they could, and you know who's your friend going to be at MIT? Probably not Picasso. He's probably going to be some math nerd that <laughs> that has a couple you know markers laying around. I guess. So I think that's kind of what I envision. And then, yeah. um, and then with Asmati Games, I'm not exactly sure, but Chris Seeslick from Asmati, I think, was one of the Cambridge Game Factory guys. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they just have bad taste. I don't know. That could be it too. Wow. Like may- maybe maybe they get the art for their game and they look at it and say, yeah, this is awesome. It's exactly what I wanted. Let's go with it. I so. just, I don't, I don't know. You know, James Ernest, when he formed Cheap Ass Games back in the day, was really honest. He's like, "Look, there's not going to be a lot of art. Okay, we're not even. We're just going to print stuff on cardstock, and you know, the cards are going to be wrapped with a thing made out of a newspaper, and that's what you're going to get. You're going to supply your own pawns and whatever. And even though some of those games were complete junk, I'm, I'm sorry, but some of them were. Some of them were really good. And the right. gameplay saved it because you were like, okay, you know, this gameplay is good, so I can handle the ugly. Innovation wants to tap into that same thing, 
But the difference is the cheap-ass games were $7 games. Like, literally, it was maybe 10 if it was new hotness. You know, you could, you'd buy an ugly-ass game, but it would cost you 10 bucks. Who cares? Innovation's what, 30 I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's probably like 25, yeah. I just, that just bothers me. I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like this game needs a facelift in the worst way. Maybe if there was more theme injected to it, but with a reprint where they actually made everything not poop colored and bothered with something a little bit more inventive than royalty free clip art that they had stolen from a couple websites or whatever, maybe right. I would, maybe I would be able to get behind it a little bit better. As it is, I know that you love this game. I'm not even going to bother telling, asking which direction your thumb is going. Yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy playing this with you because I enjoy playing games with you, Chris. I don't think that I particularly care if I ever play this again. Like if you wanted to play it because it was the two of us sitting there playing a game, sure, I'd play it with you. I don't care. It's not wildly offensive. It's just also not, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Maybe I need to play it another 40 times to really appreciate it. Maybe that's my problem. You've played yeah. it times I've played it three. I think we should do. The thing is, after my third play, I was already in love with it. Yeah. and I, So I'm maybe st- it just won't happen for you. I'm still not there. But uh, like I said, maybe with a facelift so that so I didn't feel like I was, I don't know. God, that's the only thing I can think of. Who knows? Speaking of games that could use a facelift, no. you, pl- you played Cards Against Humanity? I did. Oh, Lord. This game, oh my gosh, it is so amazing. Really? I, I oh, We're yeah. Some- so, <laughs> so Greg from our game group, him and his wife had, had my wife and I over, uh, for a little gaming yesterday. Okay. And, um, we played a couple games of Seven Wonders. Mm-hmm. And because it's nice and light for the wives and they enjoyed it, so that's sure. good. But then at the end of the night, we're like, well, what do we play? Nobody had really any ideas. And Greg's like, hang on, I just got this game. Let's, let's play it. It's, we, we wouldn't bring this game out for everybody. And then, yeah, we pre- you think? Then we, we proceeded to talk about all the people we, we mutually knew that would just faint if they played it. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, we set it up, we played it, and by set it up, I mean we dealt a couple cards out, yeah. and then we played. And, uh, so yeah, Cards Against Humanity, it's basically apples to apples, right? Yep. Okay, you've got, you've got, this, what's apples to apples? It's descriptions and things, or whatever the stupid thing is. It's an well, adjective, and then everybody puts a noun in. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is basically the same thing. So, Cards Against Humanity, you've got the black cards, which are basically like a, a scenario, like, um, you know, what does Barack Obama do to unwind? Um, or what do what does grandma find offensive yet mildly charming? Or sure. what what don't you want to find in your Chinese food? Mm-hmm. And then the white cards are full of all of these very very horrible things. The the black cards the scenarios are basically fairly benign, but the white cards oh gosh! I mean because we don't want to explicit tag on iTunes, I can't even say a half of them. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, amazing and hilarious. Oh really? god, this we were crying. All four of us at the table were crying and bent over with laughter. And Lori and I both uh, commented how sore our ribs were on the ride home because we laughed so much. Wow. Oh my god, god, that game is amazing. And also, the only game I will probably ever give a ten to on the board game geek. The only game you'll ever give a ten to on the, the geek? only party game. Oh, party. the only party game. Okay. Yes. 
Okay, I was going to say, you know, I played this at the Dice Tower convention. They had a, they had a night of this on I think Saturday night, uh-huh. and they 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 sequestered it off in a completely separate room with a closed door, and they made sure that nobody under the age of eighteen was allowed in there and whatever. And that, ladies and gentlemen, should give you an idea on how over the top vulgar this game can be. And I think that this the reason I I played it and it was okay, and I didn't. I wasn't particularly giggly, but I think the reason I wasn't particularly giggly is because this game seems to me to be the game version of a Will Ferrell movie. And here's what I mean by that, okay? If you like movies where, and I'm sorry, Chris, I'm kind of picking on you here a little bit, and I don't mean to, and you can yell at me if you want to, but if it's like the stupid humor card game, you know? It's like... Let's say the most offensive, ridiculous, over-the-top things and see what we can combine with something else and have it just sound awful. I think the most fun thing about the game is listening to people that are forced to read the cards that have been passed to them just because of the awkwardness of it. Am I, uh, I just Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, but, I mean, that's the point. I guess... I, I mean, guess. if you if you don't find entertainment in hilariously awkward things being mashed together into a sentence, then yeah, you won't like this game. On the other hand, if you have a sense of humor, you will be crying laughing. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> no, you know. Okay. So so let me get this straight. You played it at a convention with a bunch of strangers and didn't have fun with it. Hmm. No, no, Imagine no. that. Let, how about we play it sometime with people you actually know and and, and understand the personality here's, of? Here's here's the thing. You, I actually did sort of have fun with it, but again, I derived the enjoyment from it more from watching people have to say these incredibly vulgar things out loud than I did the actual gameplay. I felt like some of the cards are just obviously more disgusting and ridiculous and therefore are probably going to get picked every time i I don't know maybe i'm just maybe i'm just the wrong demographic i'll try it you know what i will definitely play it again i would definitely rather play it with friends maybe that would be maybe that would make it more fun Right right now it just seemed like the the lowest common denominator version of apples to apples it's like apples to apples for people that like to swear and say really disgusting things i don't know (laughs) <laughs> yeah maybe it's it's this it's the jay and silent bob version of apples to apples there you go or the that's or it that andrew is it exactly. dice clay version there you go no if you like andrew dice clay you're all about true. this andrew dice clay is a male chauvinist bigoted slob that is not what this game is <laughs> this game is vulgar but it doesn't like you know you know pick on women and like right. you know all right mentally challenge people <laughs> all right fair point well, okay. actually, you're lying a little bit. It, Why? Uh, there are a couple of cards in there that definitely do poke <laughs> okay. in okay. those directions. Here, here's, here, here's a combo that won uh, last night. That it you was, can say out loud? All right. I, 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 I can't. I might have had a couple people. <laughs> Maybe we should. I, here's the thing, folks. You can. There, I'll tell you what. There is a There is a podcast on YouTube called Beer and Board Games, okay? And they, what the, the whole idea behind this, they're located in Madison here, so it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, this is Blame Society Films. Love you guys if you're listening. 
Um, they play Cards Against Humanity on there. If you want to see the kinds of things oh, that are printed go. on the cards, go watch that video. It's called Beer and Board Games, Cards Against Humanity, and you have to remember that they all got really drunk before they played it. So you're literally watching a YouTube video of four very drunk people play this incredibly offensive game. Go watch that. <laughs> I will that. admit, when I watched that video, I laughed to the point of crying. Well, there when you I, go. When I watched the video. So, but that might have just been that it's four, literally four improv comedians playing this game. So I don't know, maybe. You know what? I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. I'll play it with you, Chris. How's that? We need to play it in our game group and just make sure like Jim is not there. Oh God. Right, you know, he, he's a, for, for, for anyone who's listening to this, it's not in our game group, which is, I think is our only audience right now. Yeah. But uh, uh, Jim is is uh, is our elderly pastor, so we're going to try to not play this game when he's around. I'm not even going to lie. I almost want to play it while he is. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> I, because, because you like the the, uh, the the awkward feeling of someone having to read these cards. Exactly. And I t- that's where the majority of the humor that I found in the game was derived from, is listening to people awkwardly say these awful, awful things. And let's face it, if you're going to be depraved like that, there's no better way to do it than to get a pastor to say these things, right? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. I feel like my soul is on the on the way to hell as we speak. So let's move on. Let's do that. Weekly iOS game. Um, this is an oldie but a goodie. This isn't exactly anything new in hotness. Um, and I promise I'll have some new in hotness for you next week. I just haven't had a chance to buy the game that I know I want to review. There's a spoiler for you. It's it's out, but I don't own it yet. So we're gonna go with an oldie but a goodie and go with Ra. This was um, released on the iTunes Store in 2010, but this is one of the Reiner Knizia classic board games. Uh, Codito Development did it. It's 2.99 on the App Store right now as of today. Um, if you've never played Ra, it is an abstracted auction game where there's a row, a row of tiles, and at some point in time, you can choose to put that entire row of tiles up for auction by using your sun tiles, which are basically just a sequence of numbers from 1 to 13 or 1 to 16 if you're playing in a two-player game, or five-player game, I'm sorry. It's an abstracted auction game. It's a classic. I think it's a great medium-weight um, um, auction title in real life. And the iOS version of it is a beautiful implementation. So if you already know how to play raw, this is a great way to get your fix in. It's gorgeous. It moves nice and fast. It has an option where you can dial up the AI speed. Codito is very good about this. God bless you for that. So you're not stuck watching the AI take their sweet time drawing a tile or doing this or doing that. You can just hustle through it once you know what you're doing. It's just a really good implementation. Not lots of annoying sound effects. Uh, the art's fine. It keeps track of everything for you. It just does a really good job. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I um I enjoy Raw. I think recently, uh, probably not that recently anymore, but in the last six months we've we've played it quite a bit at the game group, and um, I'm just kind of sick of it right now. But it's still very enjoyable. So you know, give me another six months and I'll want to play it again. But I like it. Raw is, I think, one of my go-to one-hour games. Like if you have a group that, in in person anyway, if you've got an hour left in your game night and people want to play something, they don't want to just play a throwaway whatever, but they want to play something that's got a little bit of meat to it, Ra is always the first game I pull out. And I totally, and, and with that in mind, that's how you get sick of it, right? Yep, exactly. That's that's exactly why we got sick of it is because we had a lot of those, you know, we have an hour left in the game night opportunities, so. Yep. 
Yeah, so I could definitely see that. But I'll tell you what, when you can knock out a game in 20 minutes on your iPad against a few computer opponents, and by the way, the AI is not super strong, so don't expect to become a raw ninja after having played it a bunch on the iOS. I have found that the iOS is good when you first start playing it, but after 15, 20, 30 games, you're going to immediately realize that the AI needs some help. Uh, but having said that, it's still a good way to, you know, it's, it's just, it's just good, easy fun. Right. Cool. There you go. All right. Let's take a look at what's in the news. Hasbro is looking for game designers, probably to fill the hole that Rob, De- I'm sorry, how do you say his name, Chris? His name is Rob Davio. Okay. Yeah, Rob Davio, we mentioned in a previous podcast, is leaving to form Ironwall Games. So Hasbro is looking for game designers to fill his very big shoes, eh? Yeah, it, it looks like it. I mean, it's designers, plural, because so, those are pretty big shoes to fill. So, you know, on, on one hand, I, I was thinking you know, maybe they will hire some, you know, young, up-and-coming, you know, board game designer that, you know, got his... Uh, skills, you know, honed from a couple of quick little titles he released, you know, and, and and got some fame on Board Game Geek. You know, I'm thinking someone like, I don't know, Carl Chudike. Oh, there you go. Or, you know, just, just you know, and uh, there's, because there's lots of good designers out there, but then you read their description of the game, or of the of the game, of the position, and it's just, like, horrible. It's, yeah. you know, they, they want someone with, you know, Corp- partnering with cross-functional teams, marketing, engineering, and packaging, it's just like oh, corporate double speak. If ever I have heard of it, yes, exactly. Should, yep. should I read it? Hang on, I'll give you my. Go for, yes, do it. Do it. Yeah, do Here's it. my corporate suit voice. You ready? Yes. Our fast-paced team of design strategists has an immediate need for innovative designers, product developers. In this exciting role, you will combine your global mindset and passion for building and implementing design strategies to deliver market revolutions and best-in-class brands. Partnering with cross-functional teams, marketing, engineering, packaging, etc., you will maximize current technologies and trends and leverage best practices to enable the business to meet and or exceed brand goals. Did that yeah. mean anything? No. No, not at all. That is blah, 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 platitude, platitude, blah, 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 make awesome stuff, blah, blah. We're not going to put your name on any packages. Love us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so good luck. there's that. So anyone that listens to this podcast that designs board games and also doesn't mind selling their soul to the devil, feel free to submit your resume. <laughs> and Hasbro, if you're listening to this podcast, I have very little use for my soul. Right. Just throwing that out there. And you are the devil. There you go. Maybe. All right. <laughs> Days of Wonder is has reprinted and has in stock copies of Mystery of the Abbey. Yeah, I was quite surprised, actually, when I looked up the stats for this game that it was originally released in 1995. Yeah, I'm back in the... I mean, yeah, that's like Settlers Old. So, Settlers old. Um, But yeah, 1995 Days of Wonder title by Bruno Faduti and uh, Serge Leger. And it, I guess it's been out of print for the longest time ever. So it's coming back in print, which is good for people who want the game and sad for people who want to make lots of money on eBay. Yep. Very true. So yeah, I, you know, I've, I've never played Mystery of the Abbey. It's a deduction game. Um, yeah, I, I figured you had because I know, uh, one of our, one of our mutual friends is a big fan who lives down by you. So what do you think? Um, Mystery of the Abbey is a beautiful game that has some really interesting stuff going on in it, and I completely suck at it. 
Right. That's what I think. It's a deduction game where you have to ask questions um, based on the characteristics of these different monks, and one of the monks did it. And some they can either be fat or thin. They can have a hood or no hood. They can belong to one of three different orders, I guess. Like there can be Franciscan monks or whatever, and yep. they can be like of three different ranks in that order, and they can have a beard or no beard. So basically, it's sort of like that. Sort of like that matching game with the two boards with the little flippy tiles, right? Guess who? Yeah, guess who? There you go. It's actually sort of like an extremely souped-up version of that. The problem with it is that it's so hard to figure out what the hell question you want to ask that I feel like I'm just not equipped to do well at it. I don't know. It's good. (laughs) I just suck at it real bad. I don't mind playing it, but I always feel like the stupidest person in the room about halfway through the game because everybody else has these very knowledgeable looks on their faces as they're trying to come up with the most clever question to ask and i'm just kind of sitting there with a derp look on my face trying to figure out what the hell i'm supposed to be doing right so it's beautiful i will say that i mean it's a days of wonder title and their stuff is always awful pretty but yeesh i'm so bad it's so bad you know it just occurred to me just now that days of wonder basically has two deduction games mystery of the abbey and mystery express Uh, i know one takes place on a train one takes place at a monastery but like is there any relation between the two i mean like is is it supposed to be like a play on on words you know like mystery mystery express is like mystery of the abbey but like shorter or something well first off it's not shorter at least when i played it i played mystery express once i have not played it a second time because i if i'm going to hurt that much i'd like to do it to myself um, in right. of Lewis Black. That's another game that everyone at the table felt stupid while we were playing it. That that game, I don't know, man. There's there must be a demographic. Maybe it's just a whole bunch of Mensa nerds sit around and go, "This is the most brilliant thing ever." But I was lost in both games. So maybe right. I'm just bad at them. But I, I don't know. No, there's no real relation except for they're both Days of Wonder. They both have the word mystery. They're both deduction titles, and they're both hard. Right. And they're both beautiful. <laughs> they are both beautiful. Although, I will say this, Mystery of the Abbey definitely gets the nod on the pretty over um, Mystery Express. Um, okay. Mystery of the Abbey has, I mean, there's even like a cool little bell that you actually ring. You actually ring the little ding, 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 when it's a certain time in each turn or whatever. There's some really, really clever stuff. The board art is gorgeous. Mystery Express has these big, chunky, weird bits that you that you use that okay. I don't know I Mystery of the Abbey er, is definitely the superior title and I would rather play that than Mystery Express I don't know no there but you're, but you're probably not going to play either one that often yeah no it, not if I can help it right you know I just looked up uh, the stats on Mystery Express and designers were Serge Leger just like this one and also Antoine Bauza who we exalted last week for Seven Wonders so. Well, good on them then, but I still don't want to play it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The nominees for the general strategy category of the International Gamers Awards, you may hear them referred to as the IGAs from time to time, have been announced. And I am still of the opinion that this nomination list is basically they went and found every game that didn't completely suck (laughs) and said, here's a list of all of them. Pick something. So the, yeah. the multiplayer that they have on here is Dungeon Pets, Eclipse, Hawaii, Helvet, Hel- Helvetia, Helvetia, 
I don't know, something like that. Kingdom Builder, Last Wheel, Mage Knight, Orat Labora, Predaporter, Risk Legacy, Trajan, and Village are all the numbers. Yeah, that's basically every game that was released last year. Yeah, well, all the ones that anybody cares about. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there was some other stuff in there. Note that Cards cards Against Humanity, not in there. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> right, so, well, it wasn't really, it was released in 2009, so. It was funnier my way. No, it wasn't. It was more accurate my way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so out of this list, which ones have you played? Which ones would you pick? What do you think? I have played Eclipse, Hawaii, Kingdom Builder, Last Will, Mage Knight, Orat, Labora, Risk Legacy, Trajan, and I have not played Village, but I've seen it. Right. I've played, um, I would say, most of them. Yeah, I've played a good hunk of them as well. Out of this list, man, I don't know. Trajan probably is what I would pick. Yeah. Let's. I tell you what. Let's do this, because this will be fun, and we'll make a habit out of this every time an award ceremony comes around. Which one do you think will win? Which one do I think will win? Yep. Well, if if uh, the Spiel de Jars is any indicator, it'll be Kingdom Builder, right? Because that just won. Yeah, but it better. You know, is this like the Golden Globes predicting the Oscars kind of a thing? Oh, I actually don't think it is. I think the IGAs tend to be more... Americanized than the Spiel des Jahres. I don't know. In my opinion, Spiel des Jahres winners are very rarely the same sort of games that American Euro gamers really dig. Every once in a while, but I think in general, they are they vary pretty wildly. So I actually would predict against Kingdom Builder. That's just me. Um, then Village. You think so? Okay. I just hear people talking a lot about Village. Mm-hmm. It sounds, at least from what I know, less because I haven't played it yet, less convoluted than something like Trajan, which is you know what I would pick. Yep. I really don't think Eclipse is going to win just because it's. Uh, I, I just think it's it's too long. It's it's kind of too specific of a demographic. You think so? I just think, yeah, you know, I don't know how how they choose these uh, right. things, but you know, if they're picking something that's going to appeal to a broader audience, I think you cut back on length and you cut back on a specialized theme, mm-hmm. and and you probably have a, a better chance of hitting a wider audience. Eclipse is long and it's space combat. Okay, <laughs> not everybody cares about that. Well, I, not everybody cares about you know Hawaii or yeah. you know king building a kingdom or ancient Rome either. I just think it's a, more of a general theme that people could just forget about. Sure, and I, if there has ever been if if forgettable theme is your criteria, then Kingdom Builder is a slam dunk. I'll tell you that. Even though yeah, even though right. I'm predicting away from it, I'm I'm I, so you think which one do you think you're you're taking Village Trajan, you're taking Trajan. Okay, yes, I am going to. Here's what I'm going to say. I think that the game that should win it is Risk Legacy, just because it does something that no other game on this list does. It's, it is the only truly, how do I say this? The only truly innovative game on the list. I think that there's a lot of these games have some really cool stuff going on, but I honestly think Risk Legacy is the only one that really breaks the mold and does something completely innovative. But I think it's going to lose its butt. I think that Eclipse is going to win. I think that the buzz was too big. The game is too well regarded. Nothing has come along to knock it off his perch yet. Yeah, yeah. So I'm surprised you haven't played Dungeon Pets being the uh, Vlada Shravatl fanboy that you are. You know, and I'm actually kind of surprised I haven't played it either. I, <laughs> that sounds kind of weird, but I've just never, I've never gotten around to it. This is one of those games that it feels like it's just kind of a... Uh, I, I've never played it. I've never even seen a copy of it, so I don't really know anything about it. I know a lot of people have said that it's an improvement on Dungeon Lords, but I really like Dungeon Lords. Why do I need a game that's 
different but the same or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that'll be one of the games I pick up in the near future. I don't know. So I'm picking Eclipse. You're picking Trajan. We'll probably both be wrong, and it'll be something goofy like Helvetia because none of us can say the name. Who knows? Right, exactly. And what about the two-player games? They've only had four on here. I guess nobody makes good two-player games anymore, huh? Yeah, I guess not. So, yeah, on this list is Agricola. All Creatures Big and Small, Star Trek Fleet Captains, Summoner Wars, the Master Set, and Targi or Targi. <laughs> tar Targi. <laughs> should, yeah, I pronou- should I just keep pronouncing it and see how much I'll keep you laughing? <laughs> I'm just waiting to see how many angry emails we eventually get when once we have our legions of fans and they start listening to back episodes and they're going, Oh my god, why did you let him say things? <laughs> well, I'm hoping our audience will grow at the same rate as my pronunciation abilities, and therefore it'll kind of balance out, I hope. There you go. All right. Um, I made you go first last time, so I'll, I'll, I'll go first this time. You go first. If Starfleet or if Star Trek Fleet Captains doesn't win this, I'm going to throw a rock at somebody. Agricola is just a two-player variant on Agricola. Big whoop. Summoner Wars already existed. They just made a prettier version of it. And Targi, I can't speak on. So I, I suppose if Targi wins, I don't know. Maybe, sure. But Fleet Captains is big, beautiful, gorgeous. It does something. It, it's another one that's too innovative to not win. It's the first time they've taken a really a, a big IP like that and made a truly compelling game out of it. So I'm picking Fleet Captains. Wow. I, I haven't played any of these games. I've only seen um, the Agricola and uh, and Summoner Wars. Targi, Targi, I've never even heard of mm-hmm. uh, until I composed this list. And Star Trek Fleet Captains I've obviously heard of and never seen nor played nor know anything about. So I'm going to go with Agricola because it's... Agricola? I like, I like Agricola. <laughs> See, that's why you, people come to us as our informed opinions on the hot topics that matter. Yeah. There you go. All right, on to our game versus game segment. This is, of course, the segment where we take two games that we think have something at least in common, and we mash them up talk about the pros and cons of each, and then give you a 30-second synopsis on which one we think wins the battle. This one is going to be a good one. Wealth of Nations, published in 2008 by Table Star Games. Nico Carroll is the designer versus Power Grid, designed in 2004, Rio Grande Games. Friedman Fries, this is also known as Funkenschlag in the German version. Now, Chris and I have both played both of these games pretty much to death, wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely played Power Grid more, but yeah, I've played a good number of uh, Wealth of Nations as well. Yep. So, yeah, I think um, we have a lot of experience to speak on here. I think, you know, uh, at the onset here, we need to say we're, we're basically comparing the economic mechanics of them. You know, some people might say, well, why are you comparing these two games? You know, uh, Power Grid's a lot about, you know, building a, a network, and, and Wealth of Nations is not about that at all. Um, but see, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm immediately going to say that I think both of them have a certain area control aspect to them. Yeah, yeah. If you, very yeah, if important. You, sure, that's very true. Yeah, if, if you kind of generalize it as area control, then yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So I mean, they're both they're both economic games at their heart, but they have both of them have a significant area control aspect to them. One of them takes the form of network building. The other one takes the form of of straight up area control on the board. So but but in general, I think they both have that same sort of 
board placement is everything kind of feel to them. Yeah, so the the economic uh, mechanism in these games is is different. In Power Grid, you basically have this uh, simulated supply and demand market where you've got the four different resources that you can power your power plants with, yep. and um, each turn, you know, play, players are going to be buying certain numbers of these resources. But then at the end of each turn, there's going to be a static amount that actually gets replenished. So someone might, you know, uh, uh, oil might get purchased. You might purchase eight oil on a turn between all the players, but you might only replenish four or whatever the case may be. So um, that's the, the supply and demand there is very interesting. And then with Wealth, Wealth of Nations, it's more of a user-generated kind of economy. Um, yes. It's, I think it's a lot more dependent on, the, um, on how people are playing the game. You know, with, you know what what goods they're producing, what goods they're using, what goods they're selling back to the market, all of that stuff. It's 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 a lot more controlled by the user as opposed to the mechanics of the game. Yes, and I think that makes it a little bit more fragile. I think maybe, yeah, I I, I can see that if the um if the players around the table aren't paying attention. See, the thing about Power Grid is that the replenishment rate is static, and everybody knows what it is at any given moment, and it's never going to change until the game advances to the next phase. And even that is transparent, and everybody knows what it's going to be once it changes. So you can pretty accurately, in general, predict when the game is going to change from this phase to that phase, and therefore what the replenishment is going to be. In Wealth of Nations, the only way that these markets replenish is if players make the stuff that then goes into the market. Market. So there is no predictability to it whatsoever, on, at least not at first. It's not until people actually really start committing to certain resources over others that you have any idea what anything is going to be built. So I, I definitely think that Wealth of Nations could be screwed up more by people playing oddly than Power Grid. I think the Power Grid has a, is a... Yeah, so maybe this maybe that's what you were saying. I think Power Grid right. is a more stable system. Yes. Okay, there you go. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. So should we get to our uh, 30-second rundown here? No, no, no. Hang on a second. See, because I think the other thing that people are going to ask us, well, maybe they're not going to ask us, but I'm going to make sure to say it because I know that you like <laughs> ignoring theme, but I'm throwing it out there, Oh, is that, that Wealth of Nations is possibly right up there with innovation as far as one of the most themeless games of all time. The things that you put on the board are literally – these hexes with no art, just dots and parts of dots. And as you line the hexes up, they might form more dots together. And each time there's a dot, a completed dot on a hex that you control, you get one thing of whatever that dot color is. So energy is blue. If you make a whole bunch of blue dots, then you get a whole bunch of energy cubes. And, you know, food is yellow and labor is red. And it's I think it's very strange that you can make labor. But, hey, what do I know? Right. So, whereas in Power Grid, the map is, and there are a billion maps. I mean, it feels like they publish a new Power Grid map every time somebody in Germany sneezes. Yeah. Um, you know, the maps are all different real world locations, at least for the most part. And you, you know, the map is what it is, and you can choose to build your network across that map however you wish. But in the end of the day, there aren't going to be, you know, everything is going to be a little bit more predictable. Whereas Wealth of Nations, the board can build itself out basically any way you want every single game. There's really no, no predicting it. So Wealth of Nations definitely is more open-ended, but has all the theme in it of a brick 
Whereas Power Grid, you know, you buy different power plants and the farther you get into the game, the power plants become more efficient and the artwork changes slightly. And I don't think anybody cares about the artwork, but it's definitely there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I completely agree about theme, yep. Yeah, so Power Grid definitely wins on theme. Um, I don't know. Well, Wealth of Nations, it, that open-endedness just makes it feel more interesting, but Power Grid is more elegant and shorter. You can knock out a game of Power Grid in an hour and a half, two hours, if you got people around the table that know what's going on. Wealth of Nations, especially if you're playing with a full table, is a three-, four-hour adventure, at least most of the games that I play. Yeah, I would say that, yep. And Wealth of Nations also has a couple mechanics that were quite obviously not perfect when the game was originally released. And so there were 2.0 rules um, released on Board Game Geek and then an expansion that also messed with the rules. And, you know, they kept adding things to sort of perfect Wealth of Nations. So I guess if we need to decide whether we are judging these games based on purely what comes in the base box or if we're counting in expansions. Well, yeah, that's a good point, too. I'm not sure. You know, when it was released as uh, Funkenschlag in Germany, is had it did it get revised at all with yes. with the release of Power Grid? Because I know I, I'm pretty sure that my edition of Power Grid says, you know, revised rules or whatever, like right on the front of the box. Yes, Power Grid and Funkenschlag are not, strictly speaking, the exact same game. Power Grid is the slight Americanization of the other game, or a refinement is another way to look at it, although I don't know if Friedman Fries would agree or not. So. Gotcha, okay, but since we are comparing Power Grid and not Funkenschlag, then... Um, Probably then, fair to compare 2.0 Wealth of Nations yeah. to Power Grid, okay. Yeah, yeah that's that's fair. And And I will say this about Power Grid, too. I think that the base deck of cards that comes with Power Grid is not as good as the expansion deck that they released a few years later that you could then buy and substitute or mix in with or whatever. they Basically, they've created a whole second deck of power plants that you can use instead of the first deck or with the first deck or what have you um, that, that can jazz up the game. And I think in my set of Power Grid, because I own both of these games, um, my I don't play with the base deck anymore. With Power Grid. I don't even teach it to people with that. I use Yeah, the, neither do I. I yep. use the new one because I think the old deck is just, there are certain cards that are completely worthless and certain cards that are way overpowered in that original deck. And it just, it becomes more about who gets the really good card. And, you know, there are certain cards that are always ignored and that, that expansion deck sort of fixes that. Right. And I also think it makes, it makes the power plants a little bit better early on. Yep. Uh, you know, so it kind of ramps the game up a little bit quicker, which I enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, okay, so as long as we're clear, we're dealing with game plus as many expansions as we want to talk about, because I think that you really have to, because Wealth of Nations, if you don't talk about the 2.0 rules, this <laughs> isn't a very good comparison. Yeah. Target, if you don't talk about the new deck and the and the millions of maps, you're almost not really fairly representing the game. So, all right. So you want? Let's do it, Chris. You ready? In thirty seconds or less, which game wins? Power Grid or Wealth of Nations? Ready, set, I'm ready, go. All Over. right. So Wealth of Nations. I have actually, after I played this a couple times, I built my own, my very own homemade version of Wealth of Nations. It was amazing. After playing it a few more times, though, I realized how fragile the system can be, and with really bad players, it can really kind of fall apart and make me want to punch myself in the face. So, 
Power Grid, I think, is more reliable, more stable, and I like it just a little bit more. I still like Wealth of Nations, so Power Grid wins for me. Very <laughs> good. All right, so that's my turn. Here we go. In 30 seconds or less, you tell me when to go. Ready? Yep. Set? Go. Okay. This is a close one for me. Power Grid is one of my all-time favorites, and it's in. I believe it's even in my bio and five, although I almost don't remember anymore. Wealth of Nations is a solid title. Like I said, I own both of them. Power Grid and Wealth of Nations, to me, are two different games. If I'm teaching newer players or I'm getting people that aren't big econ gamers, I'll teach them Power Grid. Wealth of Nations is more for people that want to think a little harder. Depending on the group, I don't know, but if I had to pick, I guess Power Grid just because of the expansions. There you go. Nice work. Did I make it? You made it. All right. Two seconds to spare. There you go. All right. On to our weekly guilty pleasure. And this time Chris is in the hot seat, and he is going to explain to us why Scrabble is a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. Yes. Yeah, so scra- say the designer's name. <laughs> I am going to say the designer's name. Yeah, so Scrabble, uh, 1948 by Hasbro, designed by Alfred Mosier Butts. And I'm not sure if it said Mosier, but I wasn't going to say Mosher Butts, because that's just a little, it almost sounds like a verb then. And we are 11-year-olds. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So there's that. Okay, so Scrabble, why is it a guilty pleasure? It's super popular, super famous. Yep. Well, it's kind of the same reason that, that like Monopoly would be a guilty pleasure if one of us liked it, or maybe I don't know the Story of Life uh, Twists and Turns edition. <laughs> so, um, it, it's it's a guilty pleasure for gamers like us because we're gamer snobs. Yeah, I mean we we like you're a gamer snob. I'm a gamer snob, and we like games that you can't find at Walmart. Okay, well you can okay. find Scrabble at Walmart. You can find Scrabble at I don't know, a gas station, probably, if you looked hard enough. Um, it's with friends. You can play words with friends. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm, I'm calling it a guilty pleasure, even though it's a, it's a solid game. It's a popular game. It's also a mass market game, mm-hmm. which to a game snob like me makes it feel very guilty, and I feel dirty every time I play. <laughs> so I, I got into the, the game snobbery portion of my life in uh, the summer of 2008, but prior to that, a few years prior to that, I got big into Scrabble and playing um, uh, Scrabble Online. What is it, the International Scrabble something or another? You, you can play on wrong dude. Yeah, you can no play idea. online with all of these super Scrabble nerds and, oh my gosh, and get your butt kicked all over the place. Mm-hmm. Luckily, they have a ranking system similar to like what they use in chess. So you can be paired up against people who aren't just going to stomp you from the get-go. Um, but yeah, I, I just played it a ton. I used to play this at my job. Don't tell my former boss. Um, but I used to play <laughs> this at my job quite a bit. And um, it's uh, you just you get really into it. You know, f- getting these. You know, memorizing the two-letter words and memorizing the three-letter words and and finding you know how you can arrange your rack to you know identify bingos easier and. It's just it, there's there's so much more to the game than you know there was when you played with your grandma or your aunt, right? I guess um, you you can super nerdify yourself and yes. and just delve into this the strategy of Scrabble, and it's almost kind of like consumed my life for there for a couple of years, and uh, it was a little crazy. But yeah, I I don't actually have a physical copy of Scrabble anymore. I think I sold it which my with my like you know 50 page printout of every legal word possible in scrabble lord yeah it was uh it was it was awesome it was like 
three-point font just so I could fit, like, you know, a thousand words on a page or whatever it was so I could actually fit the pages into my box of Scrabble. Um, but, yeah. Crap. Gosh, it's it's in, and now yeah, with words with friends came out. I actually had to delete the app from my phone, and I, I I blocked it on Facebook on my computer because, oh my God, I was just I was spending. I would be playing like I don't know my niece who could care less about you know scoring four hundred points in Scrabble, and I would literally take like twenty minutes on a turn just because I could. You know, it wasn't like a terminal time, you know, a tournament time clock kind of situation. So it's like, sure. yeah, let me see if I can score 120 points this turn. Ugh. And uh, it's just, it took up way too much time. So I had to get rid of that. And now I actually try to kind of actively avoid it because I know it just consumes me. And, you know, when you get good at something, at least to a point where, like, you can't play a friendly game of Scrabble with your wife anymore, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a good thing. Yep. So. Yeah, but now with words with friends, everyone thinks they're like a Scrabble expert now. So well, that's um, because there are cheat apps that you can download that help you be well. Awesome yeah, th- yeah. There's always been that. I mean, you can punch in your rack and it'll tell you, oh, here's 14 bingos you could play. And um, yeah, and, and the board in words with friends too is just whack. It's obviously probably for copyright reasons they don't have the same board that Scrabble does, and it's just laid out stupid. So okay. um, the a possibility of hitting triple word scores and and the words with friends is a lot higher, and it's just a little wacky. So okay, um, but yeah, I like it. What do you think about Scrabble, Bill? Here's what I think about Scrabble. People like you make people like me not want to play Scrabble. Right. I I I don't mind the game if it's friendly and I can have a good time with it. But as soon as I sit down with somebody, and here's the thing: the only people I feel like that ever actually want to play Scrabble are the Scrabble nerds that have the 50-page list of two-letter words memorized. Right. And you know, Scrabble to me doesn't. People don't want to. Like 20 years ago, when I, you know, or 30 years ago when I was a kid. Scrabble is one of those games that you were hoping would come out with your family because you could sit down and everybody would talk and you'd make fun words. And, you know, as a kid, I felt like it was almost educational. But nowadays, like I said, the only people that ever want to play Scrabble are the people that you know know these ridiculous words that no one in their right mind actually has ever said out loud in the history of the English language. But yet somehow it's a legit word for this goofy game. I seriously think that there is a cabal of people that invent two-letter words specifically for Scrabble players. That's my theory. Well, it, it, and that's, I mean, I, I, I don't deny that at all because, I mean, <laughs> every few years they will update the, the you know, the, turtle, the total word list or the official Scrabble dictionary, and it will actually, miraculously, there's like two more two-letter words in here. It's like, oh, those just got invented, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, like key was one of them that got added a few years back in 08, I think, which is basically QI. Yeah. Um, and okay, so it's not only a two letter word, it's a two letter Q word. Okay, Q is a huge point score and it doesn't require a U. It's like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I, <sighs> Scrabble's fine in the right environment. I don't ever need to play it again. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I tried words with friends for about two days and then I just realized that it was just making me crazy. I played it a few times with my friend and that was the end of that. So I, I do admit I took a, a tiny little bit of pleasure when words with friends first came out. Mm-hmm. Because it's by this all of your friends. Yeah, so by this time, you know, I, I was I was already 
uh, a pr- pretty decent Scrabble player. And so people would be like, hey, Chris, I heard about this game. It's a lot like that one other game. What's it called? I don't know, Scramble. Let's play that. I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. I haven't played Scramble in years. And then I would score like 500 points. Wow, you're one of those guys. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, and I felt so good on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're a bad person. I am. You know, I, 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 I'll say this. I've heard people describe your Scrabble habit in very similar ways over the last few years, but they usually use the words World of Warcraft instead or before that EverQuest. You know, they have every raid dungeon memorized and they know all the mobs and here is how you beat this thing and that thing and whatever. And I think it's funny because I don't have an addictive personality like that. Like, I used to play World of Warcraft and I still never had a top-level character because I just couldn't get into it that much. I can't imagine wanting to memorize a 50-page document with words in it. That would make me just crazy. So... (laughs) <laughs> I think that there's a per- certain personality type that's drawn to stuff like that. And if you want to see any of you out there that are Netflix owners, there is a documentary. I'm, I suspect many of you have already seen it called Word Wars. Yep. It was released in 2004. It's been on Netflix streaming forever. If you haven't watched it, do it. It's a super intriguing look into competitive Scrabble players and what they do and how they live. And it scares the crap out of me quite frankly because seriously i've watched i watched a couple of these guys and i'm like oh my lord really like they're playing for a 100 bucks a game 200 bucks a game like that is insane i just i don't get it yeah it's it's very ridiculous i mean as good as i got i am still horrible compared to like yeah i mean i can beat up any aunt or uncle i play with Sure. But yeah, if if I ever tried to play competitively, it, I would not even stand a chance ever. And you would be so angry by the time you were done. I think that's the other. Oh, one. I would be angry. And that's the thing, you know. And I, I say this all the time: is that the purpose of playing games is to have fun. And when you watch, the, when you watch Word Wars, these people do not have fun. No. It is very intense. They're not having a good time, man. They're just—it's work. It's. They've decided to make a, a a a job out of this, and you know, good on them, I guess, for taking a skill and doing something with it. But dear God, I don't want to play a board game that makes me feel like I'm that stupid, or that makes me feel like I have to work that hard to be not lame. Right. So, yeah, what do I know? All right, Chris, we are at the end of yet another cube pushers, and we got this one in in record time compared to the last couple. Go us. Nice work. Yeah. So it's like if you hardly played anything this I week. I didn't play very much, so I didn't have a lot to talk about. There you go. Next week, um, I guarantee I will be hitting the game table a bunch more because I've got at least at least three game nights planned out already for this coming week, which is exciting for me because I don't get to do that very often. So that'll be awesome. So for next week, besides my hopefully billions of games that I'll have been playing, our game versus game segment, I'm really excited about this one, is going to be Glory to Rome, the Carl, what? Chudike. I'm going to make you say that every time, dude, because I'm convinced you're wrong, and that way it's not my fault when we get an angry email. All right. Carl, what's his name's game, Glory to Rome versus Eminent Domain, designed by Seth Jaffe of... Tasty Minstrel fame are going up against each other. Uh, they've got a couple similar mechanics, and we'll tell you all about it next week. And my guilty pleasure for next week 
is the old Parker Brothers classic Careers, published in 1955 by James Cook Brown, which I am certain is a made-up name. It's it's definitely a made-up name. It's got to be a made-up name. Also, Alfred Mosher Butts is probably a made-up name as well. I, I seriously think that maybe... Back in the day, Parker Brothers and Hasbro and whatnot didn't care about putting designer names on there because obviously who would at that point? And right. at some point, the game hobby caught up with them and they said, hey, who designed this? And so they said, okay, tell you what, guys, we'll pay you two 12 bucks an hour to sit in this room and come up with funny names that we can stick on these games. Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I I didn't think of that until you just explained it, and I think you're absolutely right. I'm telling you. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think that holds a lot of water. Because, <laughs> seriously, who names their child Alfred Mosher Butts? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, so a very, very cruel parent. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to us being extremely sophomoric about games yet again next week. Remember, folks, we're always listening to your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us on our website at www.cubepushers.com. Hit us up on Twitter at, at @cubepushers, Facebook.com slash cubepushers, and you can find and subscribe to the Ghost Hat Network's podcast in the iTunes store, our own feed. We've been having some technical difficulty with getting our own feed set up. I'm hoping it'll be up in a couple weeks, but stay tuned. In the meanwhile, catch up with us on the Ghost Hat Network um, feed. They've got a lot of really great ones in there. There's another one called Bottom of the Barrel where Jeff Bell uh, reviews really, really bad movies in 15 minutes or less. So you want a good giggle, that's a fantastic one to listen to. So check them out and check us out, and we will catch you guys all again next week. Until then, I'm Bill Corey. And I'm Carl Chodike. Oh, Lord, here we go. And you've been listening to Cube Pushers. Take it easy. Keep gaming. You've been listening to Cube Pushers, a proud member of the Ghost Hat Podcast Network. All music for this episode is graciously provided by royaltyfreemusic.com. For more great entertainment, visit ghosthat.net or keep up with us two fools personally at cubepushers.com. Thanks for listening, and keep gaming. Keep gaming.